Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. KSL's Live Mike. Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry. Welcome back. In about 10 minutes from right now, Utah Governor Gary Herbert will take to the microphone as he does each week. But today, it will likely be a bit different. I got a, a tweet from the governor not too long ago, just before the program started, which reads, following, and this comes from the governor, it reads, following weeks of surging cases, I will join representatives from the Utah Department of Health in announcing major changes to Utah's COVID-19 guidance system. This will include new restrictions. These changes come out of days of round-the-clock discussions with public health experts and legislative leaders. And uh, it contains the hashtags UTCOVID19 and UTPOL. Uh, poll. So uh, who knows what's coming? Uh, I, what could changes to the guidance system even mean? Is there, are we doing away with the color coding system? Uh, will the color coding system change somehow? Will we in this conference hosted by the governor, will we learn about his final decision on the request made by Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall to move the capital city here in this great state from yellow backwards to orange, which has been done uh, here in the state in only two other instances, that uh, of Provo City and Orem City. We'll see. Uh, we'll see. And plus, on top of that, uh, what about these new restrictions? New restrictions. What could that be? Is that a statewide mask mandate? Is that a... Uh, a limitation on gatherings. Will schools be impacted? I'll stop speculating and you and I will have to wait and hear from the governor as he, as I mentioned, in about eight minutes from right now, expected to speak alongside Dr. Angela Dunn and uh, Rich Saunders, the interim executive director of the Utah Department of Health. Before we get to the governor, before he takes to the microphone, I want to uh, walk backwards through a bit of what took place uh, just last night. The Utah Debate Commission hosted the one and only debate between Utah's fourth congressional district candidates. And and one thing I'd point out about that race is it's not only uh, the most hotly contested race here in the state, it's one of the most watched races in the country. As I've been back and forth uh, chatting with friends of mine, former co-workers and colleagues in Washington, D.C., uh, it truly is all eyes on Utah's fourth. The stakes are are very high, and the desire of the Republicans to retake that seat uh, is very high. The desire of Democrats to retain the seat after uh, taking it from Mia Love in the last election, uh, very, very high. And how 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 is that measured? Well, it's measured in dollars. 
Measured in dollars, the spending on this race uh, has now eclipsed $6 million. The two candidates, Burgess Owens and Ben McAdams, uh, debated last night for the first and only time. Uh, one of the key issues that consumed much of the debate was health care. And uh, Doug Wilkes, uh, editor of the Deseret News, he also moderated the debate last night. He joined Boyd Matheson earlier today to talk about that part of the debate and also what he learned. Really interesting Question from Zach Schaefer, a, a student at Salt Lake Community College who has a pre-existing condition. And then the candidates went back and forth on that because mm-hmm. Burgess Owens had said one thing on his website that was pulled off. He was challenged by uh, Congressman McAdams. So what I learned is that they're willing to engage um, and they're willing actually to kind of be harsh with each other on occasion. Mm-hmm. So that question there referenced by Wilkes, asked by the student here, uh, let me for you play briefly the, the responses from both of the candidates. Here is Representative McAdams. Uh, he said that changing the Affordable Care Act and removing health care protections during a pandemic is not the right thing to do. Simply saying that you want to protect people with pre-existing conditions is not going to protect them. We have to keep the protections in place right now. Burgess Owens brought up that he's a cancer survivor and understands the worry over pre-existing conditions, but said that those protections do exist and can exist without the ACA. We have right now already in place an executive order by the President Trump and the Congress has passed laws that said this will be protected. So to bring this up as a issue is using fear. Now, uh, it's interesting. In fact, checking this type of stuff is important and understanding the authority of executive orders and understanding the nature of legislation which either has or hasn't been passed is important. And the truth is uh, more, more work must be done to statutorily protect those with pre-existing conditions. I think that, and, and I myself do, take comfort in the assurances by uh, both leadership uh, in the House and Senate of both parties that that there is uh, a willingness to ensure these protections, these pre-existing condi- c- condition uh, protections, meaning that if you have a pre-existing condition, uh, you, know, you can't be precluded from uh, securing health insurance. It can't be a determining factor uh, on that decision made by the insurers. Uh, it, more work does need to be done. More work does need to be done. And as the Supreme Court on, I believe, uh, November 10th uh, takes another look at the Affordable Care Act, it will become uh, all the more important that uh, that everyone involved make good on their desire uh, to get these uh, protections in a standalone sense uh, protected so that they might uh, remain uh, with or without the continuance of the ACA. There is much debate to be had on that front, <clears throat> but that to, but to say that pre-existing conditions right now uh, are 100% protected uh, is, is a little off uh, and deserves a, a bit more or needs at least uh, a bit more legislating. Continuing continuing on, uh, this is an, an interesting point and you've seen this uh, brought up uh, in a few places uh, and, and it's the issue of QAnon. Now I'm going to spend no time on QAnon because I uh, I don't understand it. Uh, I am not one that spends my time you know, combing through the internet and reading this and that uh, to try to get smart on this conspiracy. And so I won't pretend to have any understanding of it. But I do know 
I do know that there has been much criticism of Burgess Owens for uh, certain appearances on, I guess, what you could call uh, QAnon-adjacent uh, programming. Well, anyway, Congressman McAdams, he brought that up in the in the debate yesterday. I think what we're seeing here is a pattern of bad judgment, whether it's appearing on, on uh, web shows of, of dangerous conspiracy theories or uh, appearing on the, the Wallathon to raise money for uh, for the wall that turned out to be a fraud uh, and the uh, the perpetrator of that was arrested. You said at that time you didn't know that Wallathon with this, the crawl underneath talking about raising money, you didn't know that that was a fundraiser for, um, you know, I, I, I'm just concerned by what I see here as a, a pattern of, of bad judgment. Mr. Onsign, give you a minute. Well, it's interesting because as, as Ben knows, as we go out and get the word out and, and talk to as many artists as we can, we try to make sure we get our message out. The show that he's talking about uh, was a show that was not a QAnon. Someone had called in who happened to be members, whatever that is. And now Ben's organization, Ben's team, is now considering this entire show a QAnon. Let's get to the issues. Let's get to the facts of what needs to happen. What's happening for District 4 is what we need to be talking about right now. Not all this other peripheral stuff. That's going to be it. That's, that's as much as I'm going to uh, say about this QAnon. That's as much as I'm going to allow to air on my program here about this QAnon. Uh, but there it is. That's probably the most concise back and forth uh, that you are going to get from the two candidates running for this uh, for this office, Utah's 4th Congressional District. Uh, I have just a, a moment left. Um, oh, shoot. Time, time is too tight. There's more from the moderator I wanted you to hear. It, the, the way to hear it, though, is you make your way over to my Facebook page, and we'll repost the debate of last night uh it was it was an interesting one uh and it certainly revealed both the, the the character and substance of both of the candidates ben mcadams and burgess owens and as i always say uh when you're trying to understand something go back to the source material the source material in this instance is uh, to simply sit back grab some popcorn and rewatch the debate uh we're gonna take a quick break when we return it's expected that we'll be hearing from governor gary herbert along with state epidemiologist dr angela dunn and in a rare appearance in this setting, Rich Saunders, Interim Executive Director of the Utah Department of Health. I am monitoring right now the microphone where the governor will soon stand and address the state of Utah. We'll go to that live as soon as it commences. I'm Lee Lonsberry. This is Live Mike. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.